0: I know how that goes. Yeah, it's worth a while, but uh, yeah, and uh, nice, nice, uh, nice. Is that? Yeah, it is a blazer you're wearing there. It was, yes.
1: Uh, yes, sir. It's,
0: yeah. It's I have a, kind of kind of like uh, I had to do a double take. It's like, have you got a? You got your flannel shirt on over the top there, or is just a blazer <laughs> that looks like a flannel shirt?
1: It is a blazer that looks like a flannel shirt. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's Nebraska chic. Yeah, I uh, I've got a a on Thursdays, I've got a business meeting. So it's where I get to still even in COVID, you know, we keep separated, but we physically go someplace. So I throw on something that looks decent.
0: Yeah, no, it's good. (laughs) Actually, the reason I was a few minutes late, um, I was watching a webinar um, that was hosted by my, uh, my high school uh, in the UK. um, But the guy who was speaking and answering questions was uh, infectious disease doc um, oh, from yeah. Harvard, um, who's you know at the front line of sort of treating patients and sort of you know obviously in the northeast they they were at the sharp end of the sword um, or spear whatever the um, uh, the phrases um, anyway but that uh, he's he sort of heads up the the sort of infectious disease vaccine program there so it was fascinating to. To hear his comments on a whole host of issues and talking about, you know, um, where where things are on vaccines and what we're likely to see. You know, is this going to be like the flu, where we're going to need to vaccine every uh, every year because of mutations? Or you know, so it was it was great. And he, what was, was his response.
1: perspective on that?
0: Well, um, probably yeah. I mean, that was you know, if or uh, well, well, possibly yes. Um, that you know, and you know, there's going to be you know, there's going to be some uh, there's going to be not only the the baseline anti-vaccine um, community. This is me talking now, um, but uh, also on top of that, the sort of deniers um, that uh, you know, this is a this is a thing, um, although. Uh, you know, change of administration may change people's uh, thinking on that. Um, but, you know, you've got to get to 40, 50% of people vaccinated in order to get the kind of sort of um, population-wide benefits that you need. Um, yeah. And, you know, but he thinks, you know, well, you know, they're going to, in the US, they're going to be uh, vaccinating, you know, um, health workers and, um, first responders by the end of the year, and then you know uh, things will sort of move forward into vulnerable populations and so on and so forth. So it's it was it was interesting, and you know to get it, yeah. You know, he also had a slide on you know what treatments work. what do done you know so dexamethasone being sort of the only one he had a firm yes on. He said you know we give that to all our patients. Yeah, anybody admitted to um, to our hospital with COVID, that's what they get. Um, yeah, yeah, hydroxychloroquine, yeah, no, um, the whatever it is, the zemovir, the, the the remdesivir. Yeah, yeah yep. maybe you know it sort of doesn't do any harm, but it it's you know it doesn't. Uh, um, but yeah, its 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 benefits sort of is um, are you know uh, unclear. Um, yeah. So it was it was interesting to hear again somebody who's both a scientist and a front line infectious disease doc talking about, you know, this is what we do at, you know, basically, um, uh, yeah, mass general. Um,
1: Was his impression that they're getting better at treating it as well? Like they, Oh yeah.
0: I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, he said, uh, he'd said privately to me, you know, initially they were just flailing around, not knowing what to do. And you can see that Yeah. because the infection rates have exploded, but the death rates are, or that you know, um, are relatively flat in terms of you know, the population, but in terms of mortality rates per infected person, you know, there's, they're doing a, doing a whole lot better um, because, you know, in part because it takes um, Hello
1: and welcome to the Griswold Podcast on iCode Media. This next series of conversations is gonna be broken up into two episodes and two weeks. So, it is with Dr. Mark Bullimore, who uh, I originally sat down to have a conversation with him about his research into myopia management and the impact of myopia management. But the reason I'm breaking this down into two parts is because we actually had a great conversation about academia and the differences and nuances in different academic institutions. So I thought that was a really interesting conversation and that'll be this week's conversation. And next week's conversation, uh, we really get into the details of myopia management. That was really illuminating. So stay tuned next week as well. Please enjoy our conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write us a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. We've been providing myopia control treatments in our practice for years. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, CooperVision has received FDA approval of its innovative MySight One Day contact lens. This will be the cornerstone of a comprehensive myopia management approach to be offered by Cooper Vision. This daily wear, single-use contact lens is the first and only FDA-approved product clinically proven to slow the progression of myopia when initially prescribed for children 8 to 12 years old and when compared to children in the control group wearing a single-vision one-day contact lens. Check out the show notes for all the specific prescribing details and to get more information about this lens and how you can begin to offer it in your practice.
0: That's uh, unbelievable. What that does to a mortality rate when you look at the data, and yeah, I have my uh, um, (laughs) I'm on I'm on the JAMA um, yeah for a variety of reasons JAMA mailing list, and I routinely I don't print out um, very many complete papers, but. you know I, I have my sort of editorials <laughs> viewpoints uh, um, you know, so you can where are we Yeah, it's one on school closures oh yeah uh post-approval vaccine safety you know just um stuff that is intended for the general medical community but of course is eminently digestible from people like us with uh just enough knowledge <laughs> yeah i know dangerous and yeah, so talking about you know, so there was another hydroxychloroquine um, trial published this week and you know, <laughs> I haven't read the editorial yet but it said, you know, basically the title of the editorial is why the f- are we still talking about this
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: and, uh, but again that's, uh, yeah, that's that's that so, uh, yeah, when the um, generally what what uh, happens with these webinars is you know, they'll post the link so that you can watch it um, sort of uh, you know, um, off, you know, at a later date and I'll, I'll send it to you because he's, uh, he's, uh, he's he's an engaging speaker and there's a lot of preamble, it's like 20 minutes of talking about school
1: yeah, <laughs> and, yeah.
0: and talking about uh, people who influenced him and visiting the principal's office and things like this <laughs> but then it gets into the, the sort of the meat of the and yeah, reminding people of how we got here in terms of George Washington understanding herd immunity, um, and Jenna with smallpox, cowpox, um, and yeah, moving on from 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 there. Yeah, so, I'd love to listen to it. Yeah, no, it's 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 you know, I, I like general science. General, you know, I have sort of podcasts. I listen to some of them are science. Yeah, you know, I like Freakonomics and yeah, whatever the. Um, Malcolm Gladwell series. Uh, yeah. yeah it's What's his, the,
1: um, uh, it's re- history reinvented or
0: re- revisionist, revisionist history. Right. Yeah. Revisionist yeah history. And again, it, it's, you know, some of those are just like, well, um, including, you know, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say this sort of, uh, um, he did one on Northern Ireland and the British troops and hmm. it was like, you know, stuff that, we didn't talk about, and I wasn't really educated on, um, in terms of, you know, some of the, I call them atrocities that occurred. Um, and, uh, you know, it was <clears throat> not people necessarily being shot, but, you know, innocent people and women being beaten up by British troops, um, that sort hmm. of, uh, you know. Now, in part, that's because you've got a bunch of very young men in a very scary situation they haven't been trained to handle. But anyway, it doesn't make it excusable. So uh, anyway, so how's things? You, uh, I was uh, on your practice website. How many kids you got now? Seven? We've got eight. Eight? I oh. think we've got them
1: updated on the website. I think the website Yeah, no, I, is, I, yeah. I,
0: I didn't sort of do a head count. <laughs> and your father's still practicing?
1: Yeah, he's there a couple days a week. And, um, and you know, he... I, I hope he stays as long as he wants to. I hope he wants to stay longer than, than he may want to. Um, but, yeah, it's great. It's great practicing with him.
0: Yeah, and uh, he's my vintage, right? I mean, he's uh, fifties.
1: Yeah, yeah, actually, he's
0: 62. All right, okay. 60, he, just looks, yep. he just looks 10 years younger than me. <laughs> so uh, I'm 58. So 58,
1: uh, huh. Yeah. So, you know, Mark, I think our first encounter, you probably don't remember this, but it's always interesting. Um, and one of the reasons I started doing the do. podcast is uh, one of the reasons I started doing the podcast is because I got to, I just had experiences like rubbing up against people in our profession that are doing things that I think are pretty cool. And, mm-hmm. and my first encounter with you was I was a student, so it must've been, uh, and I got yeah. a, a scholarship or a travel grant or something to, um, to the Academy.
0: Um, yeah. So it would have been, um, yeah, I think you were at the time president of AOSA. Uh, yes. Uh, or, and um yeah, I think it was maybe through the, the ZEISS program. You were yep. one of those recipients. And, yep. uh, or maybe something else. I can't remember. Yeah, that's the first time we intera- interacted. And, you know, one of the nice things about working through the foundation and being involved in the academy is you get to meet a number of uh, up-and-comers and people <laughs> who are really uh, got far in their belly about the profession and whether that leads them to, you know... Um, Service at the state or national level, or going into academia or whatever, that was one of the uh, you know, the, the the pleasures of doing that and meeting yeah you know, just just meeting some incredibly uh, uh, motivated young, smart, um, eloquent people. so you know I, I look back sort of uh, you know, um, on that, I'm trying to remember about the same time, who's the guy from uAB Jamie?
1: yeah jamie yeah he's doing great i get to see yeah. him from time to time too
0: yeah um i'm trying to think who else i got to uh interact with in that sort of uh, period anyway but it was uh it's good and, and aosa is uh you know tremendous organization and um uh yeah really a, a breeding ground for um, you know people who have the potential to go on and do uh, amazing things the other thing that's been um, that really sort of followed on from that wave is the attendance at the academy meeting by students just, just gone. <laughs> hmm. um, and you know, Do you think that's you, directly related to the AOSA or to,
1: to professors that are talking about how important academy is? Or what, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Um, I think it's a host of factors. I think moving the, moving the meeting forward a, a month or two makes it more accessible. I think, um, you know, like so many things, it's word of mouth and buzz. Um, So, you know, people, you know, used to, you know, students used to go, obviously, to the AOSA AOA meeting. Right. Um, But, you know, it's like, hey, there's this other cool meeting you can go to where it has a different flavor, but, you know, and I think it's just word of mouth and, you know, at the same time, I think, um, schools and colleges um, uh, supporting and encouraging it. So there's a host of factors that have that have, But again, it's um, it's changed the it changed the feel of the academy meeting because you know all of a sudden you had you know, maybe 25 percent of the attendees. I may be exaggerating, but you know, hmm. um, you know a significant proportion of the academy meeting attendees when our students and so that's you know that's
1: what's that done to fellowship numbers
0: um again i think you know fellowship numbers have sort of um increased i mean it's uh i i I, even with the even the sort of uh you know the virtual meeting i think there was maybe 300 new fellows so it's it's been one of the things that has um how shall I say, you know, reinvigorated or, you know, strengthen the academy meeting. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, so my involvement is now, you know, limited. I have um, every now and again, somebody sort of says, hey, you got any interest in doing, you know, with the academy and I say, no, I've done my, I've <laughs> done my tour of duty. And, you know, when I did it, I was enthusiastic about it. I wouldn't bring the same energy now that somebody else would because it would be my, you know, second time. Um, Isn't
1: that interesting? What, why do you think that's the case where um, I think it, it is human nature to feel like you've got, you've got this kind of uh, potent energy to be able to kind of d- drive into something. But at some point, most of us are, I don't know if our focus either shifts or we feel like we've done what we can do or like, what, what do you think that's from?
0: Um, yeah, I think it, as you said, it is human nature. There is this sort of being there, done that, you know, um, you know, on, you know, from a financial point of view, you know, I keep giving to the academy, my alma mater, my high school, um, in meaningful ways. Um, that doesn't stop. Um, so the the, the the desire to support institutions doesn't go away. But, you know, I, I how shall I say, you know, be an editor of a journal. I mean, I came in at a crisis time for the Academy Journal and, you know, had to sort of devote a lot of myself to it. Um, I could do it again and I'd get asked if I was interested in, you know, serving on this journal, that journal. But, you know, I, I still believe in the cause. I still believe in, you know, I have, you know, I'm supportive of whatever an organization wants to achieve. But, you know, I'm not you know, I don't have the energy level that really um, makes me want to do it again. And I've seen mm-hmm. enough leaders and volunteers who, you know, have low energy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you don't uh, want to be that guy. I don't want to be,
0: yeah. I mean, it, you know. No, it's good. It's least, good. It, it's yeah, hard, hard to know when reason. you
1: it's hard to know, I think, when you've got, uh, when you're, I mean, time's up. That's not the right term, but it's probably the term that's coming to mind is like, you know, when I I realized like, oh, you know, I've done, I've done the stuff I can do. I've done the stuff I'm passionate about. I need to probably pull back and let somebody else work on it.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I, you know, I did eight years as editor of the journal. And, you know, for the last three, it was kind of wasn't so much mm-hmm. mark in time, but it was like, okay, I, I, all the initiatives I'd thought about coming in and the ideas I had, I'd implemented them. You know, the last three years, you know, the main thing we did was to take in take in the review process completely online and go into these um uh yeah you know, manuscript manager platforms that are now ubiquitous. Um so that sort of got me through the last few years in terms of you know tweaking and make keeping things interesting. Um but yeah, it's the same with um how shall I say? Yeah, you know, I, I know it about myself and you know, one of my mentors was kind of the same that you know, in, in research and science. It's like once I know the answer, it's like, okay, you know, um, we're good. Um, yeah, I might get around to publishing it, but you know, my curiosity has been satisfied and <laughs> yeah, you know, my follow through is not as good as it should be for uh somebody in that sort of or any field. Um and it was the same with um <clears throat> you yeah, when I um you graduated in the late noughties, is that right? Well, no, no, it'd been 2008. 2008, yeah, the late yeah. noughties. Oh, 90s. Well, exactly. okay. We called them in England, yeah. the <laughs> yeah. um, because, Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, and yeah, so it's, a, it's that sort of British uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek uh, double entendre. So, yeah, so I was still at Ohio State, um, but I left there the summer of 2011. And, yeah, at that time, I was, um, how shall I say? you know um talk about you know don't want to be that guy you know i was worried even though i hadn't yet turned 50 that i was <laughs> turning into the person i despised <laughs> and so that you know yeah, you probably had a few people when you were at uh, Tahlequah, people you know the people who got you enthusiastic about what you were doing perhaps sort of some of the younger bucks um was mm. nathan there or was nathan a peer of yours
1: he was a i think he was a year he was he was in my class at Pacific, so he was. He went to Pacific when I went to Tahlequah, and then he did a he did a residency in Tahlequah oh, okay. the year after we graduated. Using him
0: as a, an example of somebody who's you know a young gun who probably really gets the students excited now. Yes, whereas you know there might have been people sort of older who were kind of yeah you know. Um, mm. Anyway, so I was worried that you know, I was becoming the uh, older academic who was kind of a waste of space and. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, and in part, um, <clears throat> it was it brought to a head I was a finalist for the dean's position at uh, UAB um, at the end of 2010, and um, the analogy i uh, I used i said is it was kind of like having an affair. Um, not that I would understand such a thing <laughs> uh, i've never been married, so i 've never had an affair' um, <laughs> seen hundreds um, but anyway, the um you know, when I was going through the process, I was, oh, you know, I'm excited about this. There's opportunities here. There's people, you know, that I could ment- mentor, you know. And, and, you know, I turned around and sort of looked at what I was doing at Ohio State. And it's like, yeah, you know, I'm not quite as, you know, I don't have the same enthusiasm about this job. So even before the decision was made and I didn't get the position, um, I'd said to the girlfriend as sure, um, you know, whether I get this job or not, I think I'm looking to leave Ohio State. Um, which <clears throat> I ended up doing because I had a you know, an opportunity, a stepping stone if you like, into uh the independent world with a sort of half time uh position with a drug company. Um And, you know, so basically, I mean, you know, I was a tenured full professor on a six-figure salary, you know, Mm -hmm. job for life, okay? So some people thought, you know, what are you, crazy? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, unlike you, I, um, you know, I didn't have any kids, um, which would have been a consideration. Um, I had uh, strategically, when I joined OSU, I had the option between a 401 plan and a defined benefit plan, you know, traditional yeah the defined benefit plan is the golden handcuffs because it incentivizes you to stay there forever, yep. because your retirement is based on final three years of salary or top three years of salary plus your ending, um so plus your year, times your years of service times some multiply. So you know you if I'd stayed there till sixty five, I would have you know <clears throat> retired very comfortably had I been on that plan. Um, but being on the sort of portable four oh one option, it made it more feasible to leave. So um and you know, I've gotten dragged back into academia sort of once or twice since then. I mean, I was dean at SECO for a, a year and, you know, realised that the little institution's very different from Ohio State and Berkeley where I spent a collective 23 years.
1: Well, so in uh, what, in, can you ex- elaborate on that in what ways? I think there's, you, don't, you know, you don't notice, there's a lot of us that wouldn't understand what you mean by, you know, maybe being a, uh, a small piece in the entire wheel of the university versus just having, you know, just a health professions. Is that what you're talking about or?
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's um, the, you know, when you're at the, you know, when you're at Ohio state, okay. Berkeley's a (laughs) different, different animal altogether, but you know, you're, you're, you're on a campus with tens of thousands of students. There's a football team, a basketball team, there's a hospital, there's, you know, um, a mature and robust sort of faculty structure. Um, And yeah, there are, Expectations in terms of you know teaching, research, scholarship, and service that you know run across the entire institution, and you know sort of you know certainly for myself I was strong in all of those areas, um, and yeah, you know, the people there you know wanted a career in academia that sort of reflected on all of those <clears throat> when you're at a smaller institution obviously the primary mission is teaching um and you know bringing in 100 students every year and you know training them and the, you know the faculty focuses on on that you know scholarship is nice but not job number one um so you know the other thing is is everything's sort of compressed so you know. I could go and listen to the president of OSU once a year talk to a faculty forum. Um, <clears throat> uh, you know, I'd have some impact with the provost office, the office of academic affairs, but not much. You know, in a smaller institution, you you sort of in much closer quarters to those those people. And you know, um, whereas, you know, the um, choosing my words carefully here. Um, I can tell, yeah, where it you know, it didn't matter at a high state who the president was, it made mm. zero impact to my daily job, mm. okay in a small institution, it matters, yeah it matters who the head of h r is it matters who the head of student affairs is it matters you know those things have a far greater impact on you, and um you know the other thing is you know your're having sort of spent many years within a culture coming into a different culture, um, and, you know, trying to sort of, um, I wouldn't say change the culture, but, um, freshen it, evolve it is, is, is a challenge. Um, so anyway, but is there any,
1: is there any impact on research, you know, ability to get, uh, grants, ability to get, um, in a bigger school versus a smaller school?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, Ohio State, Berkeley are geared up. You know, they have the infrastructure to support it, and it's part of their mission. Um, now, you know, just taking some of the, the private schools, there are there are people like, you know, Mitch Scheiman um, over in Pennsylvania. You know, there's people at New England College, um, Sue Carter and some other mm-hmm. people down at... Uh, s e c o have been incredibly successful um, specifically in the area of patient based research so there's um you know <clears throat> I think at the end of the day there are you know it comes down to the individual you're training the the ideas that you have um but you know the infrastructure the expectations uh the support systems um so you know one of the things that was um, I tried to address at SECO is that there there wasn't a way for the institution or the investigators to spend their money, so there was you know this sort of war chest sitting there that nobody had figured out how to leverage, um, and you know so I sort of said hey you know uh, yeah. Um, as you might do in terms of incentivizing your staff. It's like, hey, you give me some of that money, I'll let you have some of it yourself. Um, You know, so, (laughs) you know, it's sort of kind of putting in my, putting in place some sort of bonus structure and at a place where, you know, salaries were not perhaps what they could or should be relative to some of the new programs that have been developed or, (laughs) you know, Compared to the cost of living in Southern California, it's like okay, you know, it's like we have the money, <laughs> yeah. So, but again, you know, um, people were um, suspicious about that. It's like hmm. okay, you know, want another ten thousand on your salary? You know, okay. But it's, why do you
1: uh, think so? Suspicious is an interesting word. Why? Why do you use that term?
0: Uh, because I think whenever you have an outsider coming into a an institution um There is that level of, you know, it's sort of, uh you know, it's like, let's take, take politics as an example of oh, Biden, you know, socialist, you know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to be in Nazi Germany or we're going to be, you know, we're going to turn into Venezuela, you know, it's like, you know, there's, there's that kind of, you know, that kind of uh, thing. Yeah, I saw it when I moved from Berkeley to Ohio State, you know, mm. it, it was uh um you know, well yeah, you that's know, sort of, you know, he, he's he's not one of us. Um even <laughs> what was the uh, yeah, uh you know, they were nervous about you know, because Ohio State had been a f- kind of insular place, you know, The only people in the graduate program were Ohio State graduates. Right. Um right. and then, you know, uh um uh Kelly Nichols and Jeff Wallin came yeah, to the graduate program as Berkeley grads. Oh, you know, would they be able to teach our methods labs? <laughs> the optometries, you know, they have, oh, but would they teach it the right way?
1: The Ohio State way. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, it's kind of, you know, and, it, and it, it's funny, actually, because I've seen this through uh, other interactions. The people who teach the refraction um, you know, that that part of uh, the curriculum are the most sort of opinionated and set oh, yeah. in ways people, you know, you can't even, you know, it's, you know, you, you, uh, you know, you, you can have 20 people in the room and have 20 different opinions on what is, you know, you can't even have a discussion on some things. And, but that's, you know, that's academia. I mean, the, um, when I was chair of the curriculum committee at Ohio State, you know, I had to yeah, you know, I wasn't looking at grades as such, but I had to sign off on um a database of grading that went off to the OAT people so they could see whether you know they were testing the right skills mm-hmm. and how they reflected upon um <clears throat> an individual's you know performance in optometry school. Anyway. Mm. But, you know, so all of a sudden I've got this data in front of me and I'm looking at it and it's like, you know, some of us grade very differently than other people. So, you know, some of my colleagues might give uh, 80% of the class an A. Right. Another colleague might give 20% of the class an A. All right. Mm. Now, I don't know which is right, but as a college, I thought we should at least discuss it. No that's No. Uh, Interesting. No, I, but again, you know, and it's <clears throat> what should be our you know, should you have an override? Yeah, you know, and you shouldn't have a quota system, but it's like, you know, it's like yeah, you know, I didn't have an answer. I didn't you know, I didn't come to the I didn't come to the discussion with an agenda of oh, we need to we need to have a regimented grading scheme. No. It's like Shouldn't we at least discuss it? <laughs> yeah.
1: So that's interesting. You've spent a lot of time in academia, but but I always kind of think of you as a guy that yeah. likes to uh, maybe break things. Might not be the exact right term, but yeah, in the china up. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I think, and I think that's um, how so? Then how did you last so long doing those things, asking them the questions you're not supposed to ask?
0: Well, I mean, it's. <clears throat> No, I mean, I, um, you know, I'm definitely norm challenging, but yeah, you know, not because I want to break something, but I want to make it better. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, it's an aspirational approach rather than anything that is, you know, degrading, detrimental, destructive. Um, but yeah, I mean, How did I last 15 years with those sort of shackles? Well, the the point is that, you know, I was able to teach the way I wanted to teach and the way I thought, you know, and I enjoyed, I mean, one of the things I miss most about academia is interactions with the students. Yeah. Yeah. Can the students or can a small proportion of the students drive you nuts? Yeah. Um, And, but... You know generally it's it's the most nourishing part of what you do as an academic because you know you're you're shaping the future of the profession but also you're you're in a position to um, influence impact um you know individuals' career trajectories so um so yeah um uh yeah I mean there you know times when it was frustration, but you know again with you know when you're tenured you can voice those frustrations um without fear of retribution um and you know yeah the times you know administrators you know the you know you people on the you know the dean's team, it's like you know you could say, you know what this person's out of line um that's not okay um which you can do in a a large institution because it's part of the culture you know in a small company or a small institution or a, even in a professional organization you may not be able to do that so do you think that still exists
1: do you think that today that you can still do that like you could 10 years ago
0: are there I things think so. that you I mean you know there's political correctness um but you can you, you certainly you know, in terms of, you know what, this isn't right or, you know, this isn't being handled right. I think you can still do that. And I generally think, you know, um you know, we've got leaders um that yeah, they don't welcome being challenged, but they accept it, you know. I mean, people like Zadnik, Flanagan, Twa, people who are um you know, uh deans of Major large institutions, yeah. I think they, you know, they, yeah, they, they, they accept that sort of, yeah,
1: you know,
0: dialogue because you know you, you 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 get to a better solution if you have <clears throat> a diversity of ideas, even if you end up, you know, um, declining certain paths. The the discussion and having the ability to have a, um, an open discussion about issues is, is, is important. Um, yeah. And, you know, again, going back to sort of listening to uh, Freakonomics and other things, you know, there are a lot in the modern workplace, um, you know, Whole Foods, Netflix. Netflix in particular is a very um, non-hierarchical organization in terms of um you know everybody's evaluating everybody you know there's this sort of 360 degree sort of ongoing review where you know everybody gets to set to to say whether they think people above them below them alongside them are doing a good job um so there are you know companies that are um and, and cultures, and same in academia. That you know, you 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 do get to say what you think of the way things are, uh, how things are going. So I don't know. I mean, I I've, I've been out of, as I say, mainstream academia now for over nine years. Um, hmm. Essentially, I still have an academic job because there are companies who pay me to do what I enjoy doing um, in terms of designing studies, reviewing studies, writing papers, um, you know, serving on advisory boards. So in many respects, it's, you know, it's it's the nicest part of my old academic life without having to go to meetings and write grants and, you know, deal with some of the other BS. Um, mm. I don't have the students, but I, you know, even then I can still... Um, yeah, you know, I still interact, you know, I just printed out um, a paper from my uh, academic granddaughter. So you know, the PhD student of my former PhD student who, you know, is asking for help revising or repurposing a manuscript, it's like, yeah, okay, great. Uh, I can do that. Um, and the same with um, you know, uh, other uh, people, I, you know, I still get the opportunity to mentor even if I'm not dealing with a class of optometry students anymore. So I have a pretty charmed life right now and one that hasn't, unlike your own business, been that affected by the current pandemic. You know, my my work is largely sitting here at uh at home. Um and uh uh You're in Colorado, aren't you? Yeah, That's Colorado where you live now? So, that, yeah. so what you're looking at there is the uh that was the view a couple of mornings ago with the sun coming up. So we're um so Boulder and Denver are down amongst the clouds here, um, wow. and uh, but my normal view is that. So that's what I'm looking at hmm. now. Um, so those awesome. are the flat irons of Boulder. So we're at 7,000 feet, so we're about 1,600 feet above Boulder and Denver, um, six miles out of town. Um, so... Social distancing is easy for us. Um, so, yeah, most of the time it's just Beverly and me here, and we both work from home anyway when um, we're not traveling. So, we work from home and we uh, we deal with deal with stuff. But uh, yeah, so that's, that's what it
1: really looks like.
0: <laughs> what
1: um, what kind of research were you doing back in two thousand and eight? Like, um, what was your research interest
0: then? Um, yeah, back then. You know, myopia has been a long standing interest, um, but, you know, I had a diversity of interests. And, you know, the research I got into was driven a little bit by, you know, the PhD students I had and what they wanted to do. So, you know, people I trained, you know, Brad Dowdy, um, who's on the faculty at OSU now, he did uh, his PhD was on um, you know, bioptic drive in and low vision. Uh, Catherine Richdale, was on accommodation and you know including measure you know, image in the lens using uh, seven tesla mri so again it's like you're on an osu campus you can do these weird and wonderful things michael tward did um, sort of data mining and uh um, you know something that's not very sort of fashionable now in terms of you know decision trees